Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. On today's episode, a full weekly wind-up of NBA playoff madness. I'll be counting down my list of the biggest playoff upsets in NBA history. We'll take a look at the Clippers' season in review and what their future looks like going forward. And I've got another stat of the week and bold prediction coming up. Let's talk about it. Hey guys, welcome back to Around the Arc. I'm Jamie. I think we're on, I think this is episode 9 we're on now. And I was thinking I'll try out something new this week where I do a little kind of weekly wind-up of everything that's been going on in the NBA playoffs. And I can tell you, certainly a lot's happened because last week we were still very much in round one. Now uh, the first round has come to an end. Every series has finished. Um, in the past week, we've had the the Warriors. They finally managed to knock off the the cockroach Clippers, as I've been hearing them uh, called by some people. We finally got rid of them in six games, and we'll we'll touch on the Clippers more a little bit later on. And then the other series that wound up in the past week, we had Denver winning a thrilling Game Seven against the Spurs behind a Jamal Murray one-legged fadeaway, which put them up four with about thirty seconds left. And then a kind of uncharacteristic mental blunder by the Spurs, where they where they just didn't foul in the closing seconds. They saw um, after the game, uh, Greg Popovich just blamed that on Lamarcus Aldridge not being able to hear him. Um, so that was kind of a bizarre ending, but uh, Denver managed to av- to advance to round two there. And then we've also had round two get underway. In the past week, we've had um, Toronto square up against the Philadelphia 76ers, where Kawhi and Siakam and Toronto were just unstoppable in game one, cruising to an easy victory. But then Philadelphia did bounce back and win game two in Toronto by five. So that series is now tied up at one game apiece, which is going to be really interesting going forward. Staying out east, we've got Boston, who just stunned Milwaukee in in game one with a 22-point blowout. I think the biggest story of this game here was the job that Al Horford did defensively on, on Giannis. He held him to just 22 points, two assists, and he only shot seven of 21 from the field. And then, what's more incredible, take take into account that Yanis actually made three out of his five three-pointers. 
So that means that within the arc, he was just four out of 16. And the majority of the credit has to go to Al Horford on that. He was outstanding defensively. And we'll just have to see how Yanis and coach Mike Budenholzer adjusts to the Celtics kind of defensive strategy going forward. Then moving out west, uh, the Warriors won a controversial game one. Uh, against the Rockets, 104-100. Obviously, there was all that that talk about about the refs and the missed calls on on Houston's part, you know, all those those, uh, kind of landing spot fouls, if you want to call them that, where where, um, the Houston players thought they were getting fouled on three-pointers because... Because Golden State's defenders were not giving them space to to come down safely, uh, whichever whichever side you come down on, and that that was a that was a kind of nail biting and quite unique, let's say, opening game. So it'd be interesting to see where that series goes from here. And finally, we've got Denver, who, like I just said, advanced to the second round on a game seven win against the Spurs. They got off to a good start in there conference semi-final series beating the Portland Trailblazers 121-113 in what was very entertaining and high-scoring affair. And there we go. You're all caught up on this week's action in the playoffs. I think it's time we get into some of our other topics. Here's a cool stat for you. There have been six series-winning buzzer beaters in NBA playoff history. Only six. And Damian Lillard has two of them. How about that? Alright, moving on now. now. Now that we're in the second round of the playoffs, there, there's been a fair bit of talk, especially when it comes to the Houston Golden State series, if, if Houston can actually pull off what would be an incredible upset and it kind of, it kind of got me thinking about other you know mega playoff upsets that have happened in the past and i just compiled a list of you know my top my top i've got 6 here so my my top 6 biggest playoff upsets in nba history now i know that there'll be some that i've missed more, most likely some you know from 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 back in back in the day, you know, you know, from the kind of older older NBA, but um, feel free feel free to you know hop on Twitter. Let me know any that that you think I should have included or anything that I that I missed out. Remember, this is just this is just my list. So yeah, let's just let's just let's just get into it. I've got first up, I've got the nineteen seventy seven. NBA Finals, which was between the Portland Trailblazers and the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, the Sixers in this in this series, led by Julius Irving, or Dr. J, one of the all-time greats, they were heavily favored against this young and kind of inexperienced Blazers team, led by a young Bill Walton at the time before he suffered all of his injuries. And this series started off it, it started off in quite predictable fashion with with Philly taking the first two games but then at the end of game 2 a fight broke out between Daryl Dawkins for the 76ers and Bobby Gross for the Portland Trailblazers 
And this this fight, this event, seemed to serve as kind of a turning point in the series, as Portland would then go on to win the next four games and win in six behind Bill Walton's 20-point and 23-rebound performance in the closeout game six. I mean, that, that Portland team, they were... They were one of the the most fun and exciting teams to watch that year. And to see them kind of defy the odds and beat the the superiorly talented Sixers team is just more than deserving on a place of a place on this list. Next up we've got the, the twenty eleven finals, which was the Dallas Mavericks versus the Miami Heat. And I think everyone all of you NBA fans will will know about this one, as this was the first year that LeBron had taken his talents to South Beach. He'd controversially left Cleveland and teamed up with Dwayne Wade and Chris ba- Chris Bosh in Miami to form really one of the, one of the kind of first super teams that kind of paved the way for for the league of super teams we're kind of in now. But um, back in 2011, the the stage was set for LeBron to kind of silence all of his critics who were at their very loudest in 2011 as his Miami Heat team was clearly the more talented and favored matchup, favored team, sorry, in this finals matchup against Dirk Nowitzki and the kind of aging Dallas Mavericks at this point. So uh, Miami had cruised through the first three rounds of the playoffs, winning each series in five games. And kind of along this road, LeBron had seemingly figured it out in terms of how to close games. That had been a question for him kind of all, all, all year that season and kind of leading up to that point in his career. But in, in those 2011 playoffs, he nailed several clutch buckets against the Bulls in the conference finals and the Celtics in round two as well but everything just kind of unraveled in the finals after taking game one the Heat appeared to be heading for a 2-0 series lead but this is where the turning point in the series came when Dallas overcame and erased a 15-point fourth-quarter deficit and ended up winning by two, tying the series heading back to Dallas. Although Miami would win Game 3, Dallas would go on to win in six games, kind of shocking shocking the basketball world, and this was mainly due to LeBron's infamous and inexplainable collapse in which he just was not himself especially especially in clutch situations where he just seemed to kind of fade out of the game now granted i would say it's it's kind of fair to say that lebron's redeemed himself since then but that is still kind of the biggest black mark on his on his career resume to date and i think that's why it serves as a pretty significant upset in playoff history moving on to our number four spot sticking in the same season actually the 2011 playoffs but this time uh the western conference first round series where the eighth seeded memphis grizzlies beat the number one seeded 61 win san antonio spurs so before the 2011 playoffs memphis as a franchise had never won a single playoff game 
Forget winning a series. They had never won a game. They had played 12 playoff games up until that point and won zero of them. They had been swept every time. So, understandably, nobody really gave them a chance against this 61-win, pop-led, experienced Spurs team. But, thanks to matching up with them extremely well, and thanks to the superstar effort by Zach Randolph, the Grizzlies were able to kind of catch the Spurs off guard and ended up winning the series in six games. Now, this was pretty significant series. Other than than just the upset, this was kind of Memphis's coming out party, so to speak, and would establish them as the kind of fringe contenders that they would become for the next five or so years. And on the other hand, just after this series was done, people said that this was kind of the end of an era for San Antonio, you know, with with the aging big three of Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, and Tim Duncan. People just thought this was kind of the end for them and they weren't going to kind of make make much noise going forward. But as is as is often the case, we were all proved very wrong as the Spurs are still going strong today. Yeah, they've they've now lost their big three core, but thanks to thanks to the organization and kind of the brilliance of of Greg Popovich, they are still going strong today. But that doesn't change the fact that was a devastating loss for the Spurs in that series and is without a doubt one of the most unexpected and biggest playoff upsets in NBA history. Moving on to the third biggest upset that I've got on my list here, and that is the 2004 finals between the Detroit Pistons and the Lakers. So the star-less Detroit Pistons appeared to be kind of greatly overmatched in the 2004 finals, going up against what was essentially a super team in the Lakers, who still had prime Kobe, prime Shaq, and that summer... Uh, before the 04 season began, they added veteran stars Gary Payton and Carl Malone, each seeking their first title. And with the Lakers having home court in this series, the outcome just seemed like a foregone conclusion. But everything changed when Detroit stole Game 1 in convincing fashion. I think they won by 12 or something on the road and then outside of a Kobe Bryant miracle shot to force overtime in game two which ended up being a Lakers win the rest of the series went exactly the same way with the Pistons just kind of shocking everyone and winning in five games so they didn't just beat and upset the Lakers they dominated them and their their game plan, which was to just play Shaq straight up and not not really not really double team and kind of staying home on Kobe, that kind of that led Kobe to start forcing shots in the second half, which just completely took the Lakers out of their offensive flow. And again, the the impact of this upset was felt for years after. As, for example, Carl Malone then retired after this year without that elusive ring that would have really vaulted him in the standings of the the all-time greats. Shaq would leave for Miami the next season, and Phil Jackson, the Lakers head coach at the time, would actually take a break from basketball for about a year. 
So, the Pistons not only defeated and upset the Lakers, they didn't just dominate the Lakers, they broke up a dynasty, which has got to be one of the the kind of the biggest impact wins in playoff history, as well as one of the biggest upsets. Now, number two spot on this list is one that not so many people will have heard about, which is the, the 1994 Western Conference first round between the 8th-seeded and 42-win Denver Nuggets going up against the 63-win number one seed Seattle Supersonics. So, like I said, the Sonics finished the 1994 season with the best record, not just in their conference, but in the NBA and they were expected to seriously contend for the title that year, given that, you know, Michael Jordan had retired for the first time, so everything had kind of opened up. And this this Sonics team were stacked and were led by the, the star combo of Gary Payton and Sean Kemp. And like I said, the Nuggets only finished the year with 42 wins, and unlike the Sonics, they had no real stars on their team. And after after Seattle took the first two games at home, this series was just going how everyone expected it, and everyone had just kind of, you know, written it off. But then Denver came back, and when the when the series shifted to Denver, the Nuggets won Game 3 easily, and then took Game 4 in overtime, tying this series up at two games apiece, which nobody expected. And then, um, in case you don't remember, back then, during, during that time, the first round of the NBA playoffs was a best-out-of-five series instead of what it is today, best-out-of-seven. So this all came down to a, to a deciding Game 5, which would end up resulting in a four-point Denver Nuggets victory in overtime, which absolutely nobody expected. It was, it was one of, I know, I know, I know, I'd, I'm kind of lost for words for how to describe all these upsets differently, but it was, it was one of the most improbable upsets to to ever occur in in basketball in uh, history and i think the the lasting image of dikembe mutombo for for the nuggets grabbing that final rebound in game five and just kind of collapsing to the floor with you know kind of joy and exhaustion i think that will that will just that image will remain in the minds of nba historians for a long time as kind of the the symbol of the the second most impressive upset in NBA playoff history. Now, how do you suppose we top that? What is the 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 biggest upset, the most improbable, the most unlikely upset in NBA playoff history? And what I've got, I'm sure I'm sure most would agree with me here. What I've got in my number one spot, the 2007 Western Conference first round series between the We Believe Warriors and the 67-win Dallas Mavericks. So in this, the 2007 season, the Mavs were coming off a crushing finals loss the year before to Dwayne Wade and the Miami Heat. They, they won 67 games in the 2007 season to bounce back, which was the most in the league. They were led by... Dirk Nowitzki, who won his first MVP this year, 
and they were going up against a Golden State team who won just 42 games, and they didn't even qualify for the playoffs until the final day of the regular season, which is just insane. So, obviously, Dallas was expected just to just roll through the Warriors in round one, but when but when Golden State came out on the road and shocked everybody in game one, winning, I think, 97-85 behind a monster near triple-double from Baron Davis, we kind of knew that it would be a different series than everyone expected going forward. Now, Dallas did come back and even the series in game two, but once the once the action shifted back to the Bay Area, that was when Dallas were basically a dead team walking. They were basically finished off in those next two games. Um, and thanks to thanks to the kind of inspired play of guys like Baron Davis, Stephen Jackson, Stephen Jackson, Jason Richardson, Al Harrington, and others, along with the deafening home crowd in the Warriors arena. The Dubs went on to win this series in six games, completing, in the minds of many, the most incredible upset in playoff history. And not only that, they they have forever cemented their names in the basketball history books as the, the We Believe Warriors, which we now know them as today. So... There we go. That's my list of of the top NBA playoff upsets in uh, in NBA history. Like I said, uh, hop on Twitter. Let me know what you think. Let me know if you let me know if I missed any. Uh, you can find me at around the arc pod on Twitter. So it'd be be great for you to join the discussion on there. All right, my bold prediction for the week. If the Boston Celtics lose to the Milwaukee Bucks in round two, Kyrie Irving will join the LA Lakers in free agency. There you go. Alright, moving on to our final topic of the day, which is going to be the Los Angeles Clippers. So we're going to have a look at... We're kind of going to evaluate their season, kind of look back on it. And we're also going to look at what this season that they've had means for their future going forward as a franchise. So, as I mentioned earlier, the Clippers' season finally came to an end last week as they fell to the defending champs, Golden State Warriors, in six games. And that, that, was, that was a shock in itself, but uh, we'll, get, we'll get into that in a second. Now... With this, with this year now in the books, how does how does the Clippers' season look retrospectively, and what does their future now look like heading forward? So we're gonna we're gonna jump into to all this in detail, but starting out, just looking at their looking at the season they've had, I think it's been to sum it up, it's been a season of smart moves and defied expectations. For, for this Clippers team. Uh, starting out the year, they had they had a decent assortment of talent that people thought could maybe contend for a playoff spot, especially led by head coach Doc Rivers. And those expectations were just crushed immediately as 
LA stormed out of the gate to begin the season. And at one point in November, I think they did hold the best record in the Western Conference. And although they didn't maintain that same kind of torrid pace to start the year, they they would remain in the thick of the playoff race all the way up until the All-Star break when one of the more surprising trades occurred and they they dealt their leading scorer and best player at the time, Tobias Harris, to Philadelphia. In exchange, they did receive uh, the rookie guard Landry Shamit, who is now proving that he he's kind of emerging as one of the best shooters in the league. And then also in that deal, they did receive two first-round picks. Now, while that move did surprise a few people, I think it was it was definitely a smart move because because Harris, being a free agent this summer, was going to demand big money. And LA, I think, were unsure or it was kind of not very likely that they were going to re-sign him. So instead of letting him walk for nothing, they did gain some future assets in return and they managed to save some cap space too for, for their own free agency pursuits in the summer. However, again, after this trade happened, the the majority started counting this team out again, saying they're just going to tank the rest of the season, they're just going to totally fall off and fall out of the playoff race and just kind of fade away as the season comes to a close. But instead of kind of bowing to those expectations, this team really almost came together even more so than they had up until this point and they continued to scrap and claw and fight and and just win and by the time the season finished this Clippers team had won 48 games and were indeed a playoff team which even after everyone had counted them out not once but twice they managed to make it into the postseason however Another challenge then presented them presented itself when they did get to the playoffs, and that was the fact that LA had kind of drawn the short straw in the Western Conference playoff race and had and were going to face Golden State in round one. And here we go again, as everyone started to count them out again, saying that this would be a, a this would be a sweep or a gentleman's sweep at best. As everyone started saying that again, this resilient Clippers team were just kind of biding their time and kind of chomping at the bit, waiting to to prove everyone wrong again. And no, they didn't win the series, which, by the way, would have would have easily jumped to the number one spot on the the playoff upsets list. Um, but they did have a thirty one point comeback in game two which was the biggest comeback in NBA playoff history. And that kind of shocked everyone when they tied the series up at one game apiece. And they also picked up an equally improbable win in Game 5, which was also in Oakland. So I think that was the, the, first, the first time that the, the Warriors had lost back-to-back home games since they lost the finals in 2016, which was, which was just incredible. And to... To come at the hands of the Clippers, who, you know, despite the glaring talent gap between these two teams, the Clippers, they never showed any fear, they never showed any quit, and they collectively put the rest of the basketball world on notice with that series, even though they did eventually come up short in six games. 
So it was a pretty fairy tale season for them. But what what has that done for their for their future? So instead of instead of remaining in kind of basketball limbo, uh, maintaining their kind of mediocrity status, the the who's always been known as the lesser LA team have now vaulted themselves into the discussion as one of the best free agency destinations this summer. I mean, what what do they what do they have to offer? I mean, they're still they're still based in LA, so they've got all the appeal of Hollywood and all that 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 some of the big time players are attracted to. But the Clippers, as opposed to the, their Laker counterparts, they appear to have a lot more organizational stability than the Lakers do. You know, um, you know, from the top down, you know, owner their owner Steve Ballmer. Uh, Jerry West and then then Doc Rivers as the coach. That's kind of a a good good foundational structure there, as opposed to the Lakers, which just seems like a bit of a mess right now. And speaking of Doc Rivers, actually, he again proved this year that he is still one of the top coaches in the NBA. He is an un. He seems to be an unbelievable motivator. And he seems to be great at getting his team and his players to believe in themselves. And that is definitely an attractive aspect to this team for for potential free agents. And perhaps above everything else, this this group of players, they they played the game the right way. You know, they fought hard, they played together, they played for each other, and they they just played a really fun style of basketball. Um, they're not just fun to watch. It looks like fun, fun to play, which will definitely be a factor in in some of these top free agents' minds. And with guys like Kawhi and Jimmy Butler and Kevin Durant having all expressed some level of interest in the Clippers, this is looking to be a very exciting and possibly league-defining off-season for the Clippers. And then, aside from free agency this team they also have plenty of assets going forward you know they're young guys like Shamit, as i mentioned and then um a guy who i've not mentioned shea gilgis alexander they're only going to get better from here and i want to touch a touch a bit more on on gilgis alexander who uh, especially in the playoffs and t- to be honest throughout the regular season he, he just kept getting better and looks like he's only kind of scratching the surface of the kind of player that he's going to be. He is, he has got so much upside, and already as a rookie, you see him play. He plays with so much poise. He's so under control. He never gets phased by pressure. You know, he he plays the game at his own speed, and you know, really doesn't look like a rookie at all. So, so they're only going to get better from better from here going forward, and. Not only that, they have their draft picks that they acquired in the Tobias Harris trade, and they also have plenty of cap space and flexibility, which I think I think the Clippers are going to land at least one top tier free agent this summer, just with the with the pool of talent that's available and the kind of the the season long free agency pitch that the Clippers have kind of you know put put forward to the basketball world. I uh, it looks like a great situation to be in, and I would actually be a little bit surprised if they don't manage to land one of the top tier guys this summer. 
And it's just really cool to think, you know, like a, a few years ago, this Clippers team, they were viewed as fringe contenders every year, but then they always kind of fell short and disappointed in the playoffs. Um, after that, after Chris Paul got traded and then Blake Griffin, they seemed destined to return to being just an average team and kind of an afterthought of a franchise. But kind of in the blink of an eye, they now have one of the more kind of promising futures of any team in the NBA. And I think it's going to be really interesting and exciting to see where this where this franchise kind of goes from here. And there we have it, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening. And again, if you're if you're liking if you're liking this podcast, if you're liking these episodes, please do hop on um, and give a little little five star review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this. Like like I, like I say, it really it really does help. And um, other than that. Hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I will see you back here again next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.